Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Not only are we saved by grace alone, but we also serve by grace alone. And we're only to serve Christ alone when we serve Him. And if you stay with us for this morning's message, you're going to see how important that was that Jesus really spoke loudly into Peter's life when he said, you follow me. And we're going to see how significant that really is. Now, I don't know if we have some folks here that are old enough that you're at a point now that you have left your home in the hands of your older teenagers, maybe your senior teenagers, and you're going to be gone, maybe for an overnighter with your wife, maybe something like that, or maybe you're knowing that this is your time, you're going to say, all right, I'm going to trust you with this uh, $700,000 home and our 2,000-pound killing machine known as a car and our little pet that we've had for so long and your, your younger brother and sister, and you gave them those last bit of warnings. Now, you know how with fear and trepidation you do that. You do it because you know this is a part of their maturation, growing up time in their life, but it's also we're having to cut the strings a little bit. Now, you know how more difficult it is if you go back and you look at your kids and for the last three years and you're about ready to do this, you've seen where they've let you down. You've given them responsibilities along the way. So you can know how that might really kind of tear you up. Well, I want you to know that we're going to study a portion of Scripture where Jesus is about ready to ascend up to heaven and he's giving some of his last instructions to his disciples before he leaves. And he's really kind of leaving with Peter and others the keys to the kingdom and he's doing that with some points for us to really remember. At the same time, he's dealing with a bunch of guys that he had already given instructions to them. He's already given them a purpose for how they should live and what they should do as their calling. And they've kind of stepped away from it, and I'll explain that in a moment. And so what he's redoing now is he's repurposing their life, taking something that is kind of meant to be and then kind of falling apart because of not taking care of it properly and doing what it was designed to do, and then now he's repurposing it. If you came to our home and you had the opportunity to even go up into Carol's in my bedroom, we have next to my side of the bed this absolutely beautiful pedal car. Do you know what a pedal car is? That's those little cars that those kids had that you can kind of climb in when you're a kid, and it has those pedals, and it'll go forward. Now, some of those are worth a lot of money today. Some of them um, were designed like a little fire engine, some like a little police car, some of them are just like a little Jeep, and you see those around, and they're worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, a number of years ago, Carol found, how she found it, I don't know, one of those same pedal cars out in the field somewhere. And she, as my wife will do, she's the uh, queen of dumpster diving. And so she saw this and she says, this is worth something. And she brought it home. I'm telling you, you had to carry it and pieces of rust were falling off. It was barely a shell when she brought it home. She says, we can make something out of this. It could be really beautiful. Well, it sat around and deteriorated even more. And then I had gone on a trip. And while I came, when I came back, I'd like to tell you that the car looked really great. It didn't. It was gone. But I never told her this. I said, boy, am I glad that piece of junk is gone. Well, what happened a year later on my birthday, she had this package wrapped up. And I didn't know what it was, but when it was unwrapped, 
that pedal car was completely redone. There's not a stitch of rust. There's not a hole on this thing. It has been taken now, and all of the new metal has been put on it with all this Bondo or whatever you do, and it has been painted multiple times. It even has been put in one of those, um, those ovens that they do for some of the cars when they bake on the enamel. All the pedals are in there. The leather seat is there. Everything works fine, and then she even had a little license plate on it that said Stan on this thing, and it's right next to my bed. Now when I look at that, I might look at this pedal car and I certainly see Carol's love for me and what she did to have that repurposed in my life. But I use it as an example because even in my own life, I was meant for God's glory, but it took a while for me to really kick in to surrender to Him completely. And the Lord had to repurpose me and really nearly every day He is fixing up another piece of rust or taking care of another area in my life. And I look at that and what I'm seeing in that little earthly car that was done by earthly friends and Carol, I can really see that God will take my life and repurpose it. Now that little pedal car was pretty old when we got it. And I say that to you, that maybe some of you that are listening to me today, you might be thinking that you're beyond repurposing, that you kind of like you're stuck where you are and you're going to rust until you die. Well, I want you to know that God says no as long as we have breath. And like I had a Bible teacher that was led to the Lord by the old Billy Sunday, he wiggled his finger like this and he says, as long as you can wiggle that little finger, you have 40 more days before you'll either starve to death or die. And I want you to know that all of you can be an influencer. Whether you take on a Sunday school class, you accept the call into mission or the pastor, or whether you become a butcher, baker, candlestick maker and use that for the glory of God, you can still be used as an influencer of others when you get your eyes off yourself and you follow Jesus and he will take your life and he will repurpose it. And the beauty of it all is that you were in his mind before you were ever born and that you've got a wonderful purpose. We all have the same purpose, to glorify the Lord, of course, and to follow his commandments. But now the gifting that he's given to you, the experience he's put you through, the abilities that you're able to obtain, the passion that's put into your heart, and all the personality styles that you have, you are divinely designed by God for a purpose. And so what's happening now is Jesus is about ready to leave the scene and he's going to turn over the kingdom to these guys and he's giving them four instructions. And these four instructions are to repurpose them. And if you follow these four instructions, you're going to find that they are already kind of salt and peppered throughout the rest of his teaching. So it's not totally new to them, but it's like his um, last word when he's leaving the house that you might give to your kids. Now remember what I said, instruction one, two, three, four. Keep that in mind. Well, for those of you that weren't with us last week, let me just kind of bring us back up to some of the material and then we'll get into some new material for today. On a broader scope, today we'll technically conclude our exposition of the Gospel of John. Two and a half years going through this, with sometimes we've taken breaks through it. Next week is going to be a very full Sunday here. I urge you to be here. You will want to be here for the celebration that we have of what God's doing in the lives of people that have owned this material and God's using them, especially our young people. In addition to that, even with the limited time that I have, believe it or not, I'm going to go through the entire Gospel of John in one Sunday with a handout that we're going to hit the Himalayan mountain peaks so that you can look at the whole book. We've done the worm's eye view for two and a half years. Next week, we're going to give you the bird's eye view of where we're at. So you want to be here for that. But this study is at the end of, of um, the, the book of the Gospel of John. And these are very important words of Jesus. All right, so let's take you to what's happening. 
All right, we know that Jesus Christ died and he rose again, and before he went to heaven, he revealed himself, according to John in this writing, three times. The first time he revealed himself was on the Sunday night of the day that he resurrected. And he revealed himself to a small group of people. Not all the disciples were there. We already know Judas was gone. He killed himself. But we also know Thomas wasn't there. Eight days later, we noticed that Thomas was there. And that was when he said, you know, show me your prints in your hand and your side and all of that. Jesus revealed himself to Thomas. And Thomas said, my God. And he recognized who Jesus Christ was. Now, after that time, you would think that the disciples would really be hot for God. And like many of us, we have these experiences with the Lord. And after a while, when we don't seem to have that wonderful feeling or that wonderful experience or something goes on or just the, the, the details of life, we get distracted. And that's pretty much what happened to these guys. For whatever reason, Jesus wasn't there in their midst at that moment physically. And they decided to go back to their former employment or their former job or career, which would be fishing. Remember, all that happened in Jerusalem. Now Jesus shows up the third time, according to John. And this time they're on the Sea of Galilee or Sea of Tiberias, as it says here in John's same place. And they're out fishing. And that's not too unusual. That's what you do because that's what you know to really do. There was a time that I was called into ministry, and we were serving in ministry, but then there was a time that we took a sabbatical, not so much from the Lord, but from ministry, and we weren't receiving the funding to take care of our family. And so to do that, I had to retreat to do that which I think I can do, which I grew up in a painting contractor's home, so I knew how to paint, so I know how to paint. I don't mean artist paint, but, you know, paint walls and all that kind of stuff. So I retreated to that. That's a normal thing to do. Didn't lead the Lord, but I had to take care of my family. Whether or not Peter left the Lord or not, we're not sure. The implication is he certainly got his eyes off the Lord and embraced back into his other culture and what he knew for employment. So now the guys are there. Now we know that there's 11 disciples left. In the context, there was only seven here at this site, at this event. It's also interesting to see that these guys seem to be following Peter. And even Peter said to all of them, hey guys, let's go fishing. So I'm thinking they followed him to the Sea of Galilee. And once he was there, he said, okay, guys, I'm going fishing. So he went fishing and they followed him in the same place. Now, why am I telling you that? That's pretty important because later on in this morning's message, you're going to see where Jesus, when he speaks to all of them, he still singles out one and he singles out Peter. And I want to answer the question, why Peter? The rest of the guys, six other guys were there. They're all important. Everybody's equal in the eyes of God. Why would he speak to Peter? And you'll see that in just a moment. So Peter's out there with his guys in this boat. And they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Didn't catch anything all night long. And now the dawn is beginning to break early in the morning. They're kind of making their way back to the beach. And as they're kind of heading towards the beach, there's a figure on the beach. And that figure is Jesus. They didn't recognize him as such. And Jesus asked the question to these guys. Simply says, hey boys, you catch anything? Now in your Bible it says children, but it really means, hey boys, hey guys, catch anything? And of course they honestly said, no, we really haven't. And he said, Cast your net, not on the other side, but on the right side of the boat. Now, I always was intrigued by the fact of why would they listen to what this man had to say? You know, you know, go to, if you had a stranger tell you to do something that you were so proficient in, would you listen to them? I, I, I think he did because these guys were pretty desperate. Haven't caught anything, couldn't hurt, let's throw it on the other side. Our last cast, we'll prove this guy's nuts, he's wrong, won't catch anything. It also could be because often at the Sea of Galilee, when it's real calm... And the sun is coming up at the right angle. You might be able to see where the fish are where that when you're up close, you can't see it. I don't know if I buy that, but that's what one commentator said. You cogitate on that. Back to this. So they cast it on the other side. And when they did, the fish was so much into this net, they couldn't even gather it all in. In fact, later on, it was counted 153 fish, and they were large fish. And it was at that time that Jesus began to reveal himself as they were coming in. And 
Of course, you know, John, he said, this is the Lord. So as I look at that, I say these guys are at a particular point in their life where that there was this erosion of purpose. They move back into doing the other things of the world. You might say, well, maybe that's not the case. They could use that for the Lord. They could have, and at other times they might have, future. But at the same time, their heart was not fully wholehearted, hot for God. We know that that's kind of reminiscent of that story of casting the net on the other side. Possibly that's why John recognized it was the Lord because he remembered that earlier on in their three-year career with Jesus, they were also fishing. And Jesus said the same thing. Hey, catch anything? Nope. Cast it on the other side. And that time the net wasn't just so full of fish. It was so full of fish that the net broke. And they recognized again that that was the Lord speaking to them. But it was in that passage of Scripture that Jesus says, From now on, you are going to be not fishers of fish. You're not going to have the largest fish business in the world. You're not going to be, you know, Mrs. Paul's or something. You are now going to be fishers of men. So I'm wondering at that time, again, John, who leans on Jesus' bosom, was finally getting the, you know, waking up and smelling the coffee. This is Jesus now. And we're doing this, and I can understand. We kind of listen to Peter. You know, he's kind of the leader of the band. But really, we're supposed to be fishing for men as our primary calling in life. And that's when the story begins to unfold even more where then Peter then, oh man, he puts his clothes on because he's kind of in his fisherman underwear and he jumps into the water because he didn't want to stand up in front of the Lord half naked. And so he's now swimming and dragging this thing and the guys are coming up and Jesus is there on the bank and he already has a charcoal fire going. The fish is now frying. He says, bring some more fish over here. Let's go ahead and do this. Gather around me and let's come together. Now there are a lot of lessons in that. This lesson keeps going, going, going through the rest of the chapter, but the main issue is this, is God is willing to use broken people. God is willing to use those who at one time maybe had understanding of truth, but then got lost in the sauce of daily living and business and got sideways. And he says, I still want to use you. He didn't rebuke them for doing all of this stuff. He graced them for doing all of this stuff. I know there are times that he rebuked. He will rebuke. God is a righteous judge. Remember that. There is condemnation for those that don't know Christ. But he's also, with that, he wraps his judgment in a velvet glove. And he really loves us. And so even today, you're hearing this message. And I would, would not be surprised that somewhere down your path, the Holy Spirit has already told you what you should be doing with your life as a blood-bought, born-again believer. And you're not real bad. None of these guys were bad. None of them were robbing temples and doing evil things. They weren't running around with loose women. They weren't all that stuff. They were just doing life. But they weren't doing life with Jesus at the very center of their life, wholeheartedly following Christ. They were just doing life. And so Jesus is easing them back into what he had already told them to bring them where they should be. And I'm wondering, some of us who are trying to influence our kids and others as our disciple-making style, that maybe we need to be more tender and patient with people that are not. I know that I need to be. I tend to be one of those... Um, uh, I, I, I try to move people faster than they should. I maybe drive them instead of lead them. And so this passage speaks a lot to me as well. But on the other end of that, the Lord is speaking to all of us that we need to kind of step up our game. We need to get going a little bit. That kind of thing. He's saying, come on, guys. So he now feeds them with all of this stuff. So if you're looking to repurpose your life, the first one, he said, cast your net on the other side. So basically, just go fishing. These guys were called, as all believers are, to fish for men. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have your butcher, baker, candlestick maker career in life, but it does mean that in that career, whatever you're doing, make sure that the career doesn't own you, that you own the career, that that career with, that, that you have is a tool or a vehicle for the building of the kingdom. And part of that building of the kingdom is right on the cutting edge of 
helping lost people come to faith alone in Jesus Christ, and then to go on to become fully obedient worshipers of God. So that now it, it gives you more purpose. In other words, it's not, oh, I've got to go to work tomorrow. Oh, I've got a bad boss. I've got all this going on. You're going to the mission field just like every one of us gets up in the morning and have to come to church as a building in which we have our office to facilitate the programs around here that we do. We all have that. But when we start looking at it, it's not a job. It's not a career. It's not something I have to do. It's something that I get to do. And now I can do this for the glory of God. Now, don't look at how many fish are going to be in your net. They may not be large ones. They may not be 153. You might have a net that will never break. But you know one thing, that when you're out there doing your calling, whatever you know your calling to be, and you're doing it for His glory, and part of that is fishing for men. Somehow you have realistically, not deceived yourself into thinking of this, seen it as an outreach. It will give you greater purpose to put up with all of those irregular people on your job. The regular people that tell you what to do. And all the junk that goes on out there. Now you're living in the real world who need a real Jesus. Now if you'll notice right here, the second, he calls them over to eat with them. But they kind of sit around and I like to call that fellowship. You know, if you'll find in scripture, most of the time that food is mentioned in the New Testament, there's a dynamic of fellowship. I know that... um, Those of you who know me, some of you are new and you've been coming to the church pretty regularly now, but you still don't know me. And you can't really know me from the pulpit. Um, But I don't play well. Okay, I I struggle with that. I got a couple guys in my life that remind me, Stan, you need to play, you need to play, you need to play. I don't play well. There's a lot of reasons for that. Don't have to psychoanalyze me, but I, I struggle with that. I work hard. I have a tremendous work ethic. I think I do. I hope that's not too prideful. I, I hope I'm not just stirring up dust and and not moving forward. I hope I am moving forward. But I have found this, that when I am, forced isn't the word I'm trying to use, but but the word I'm trying to use is when I have nowhere else to go, but I have to fellowship. Do you want to know that that is the sweetest time for me? And when I'm around that fellowship, it's, watch this, that's the relation building time that's going on. I'm not building a relationship with you from this pulpit. If anything, I'm hoping I'm not tearing down a relationship we have. But the relationship is going to be built when I'm with you in your world and you're maybe in my world and we're doing things together and that's the fellowship. So while Jesus is going to keep giving truth out there, there's a time to really get to know him. And I've given you four thoughts and we talked about them last week, but again, let's go over them quickly. What is a real relationship with the Lord? It's recognizing that his presence is everywhere. And I put that there because when you read it in John here, you have Jesus over here in Jerusalem, you have Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, you have Jesus over there, you have him in this little town, you have him in that little region. And so you kind of think that Jesus kind of pops up at certain times in your life or crisis in your life or locations in your life. I want you to see that the Jesus that we worship and study is omnipresent. He is with you wherever you go. So if you go into a hospital room, he's there. If you go to work, he's there. You go to a backyard fellowship, he is there. When you go through a crisis in your life, he is there. When you go through a celebratory time, he is there. He is everywhere present, which means now, wherever you go, you can have your own little private, old-fashioned Methodist spit and fit, I call it, a time of really worshiping the Lord and realizing he is there. He is watching you. He's not watching you to squash you. He's he's watching you to be there so that you can boldly say, the Lord is your helper. The second you can enjoy is company. And I hope that you really do. I got thinking, when when do I not enjoy someone's company? It's when there's a wall between us. 
When would I not enjoy the company of Jesus? Is because when there's a wall there, and Jesus is not the wall builder, sin is the wall builder, and since Jesus doesn't sin, I'm the wall builder by the sin that I do in my life. So if I don't enjoy being around him, or things about the Lord, or when the Lord is being celebrated by others, in other words, if I don't want to have fellowship, I don't want to have worship, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be in a small group, I don't want to be around people regularly that are always shining for Jesus, it could be something in me. So for a moment, just look. I want to enjoy Jesus. So if you want to enjoy him, find out what's in you that's hindering you from enjoying Jesus that's about you and not blame others. We're going to talk about that in a moment. The third is to accept his invitation. And we talked about, he said, come unto me, all you that are labor and heavy laden, come unto me and I'll give you rest. We got that. But he also says, you that are thirsty, you come to me. So I have a God who says, I don't care how broken you are or I don't care how lost you are. He says, I'm inviting you into me. I'm inviting you into my presence. I want you and me to be together with no walls. And so it's so neat to know that you have someone who wants you to be there. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life that you knew a lot of people were being invited to something and you weren't invited to that? Has that ever happened to you that people were being invited that you knew you weren't invited and you couldn't really clearly figure out why you were left out? If that's happened to you, would you raise your hand right now? Family reunions, events, etc.? Doesn't that kind of kind of rip you? Well, here's what I'd like to tell you, is that Jesus is always inviting us. The problem is we don't always accept. There's some invitations. We get an invitation. We think, boy, I don't want to go to that. Then the others, well, they've invited me. I'm going to invite them. Okay, we're going to do this. All right. Maybe it'll advance my business. It'll help me get whatever. So I'll go. And then there are some invitations. I want you to raise your hand on this. You open that up and you're like, wow, I got an invitation for this. This is really cool. How many of you had one of those? Would you raise your hand? I had one of those. I, was, I wasn't on the island very long with Carol. And some um, big wig in the military was able to get Carol and me an invitation, not just to go to Pearl Harbor, but to go to Pearl Harbor on base in a special place where they had the parade of ships and it was that special, I forget what year it was, when they honored the vets in a very special way. And Tom Brokaw spoke. And we were able to go to this. I mean, I still have chicken skin thinking about that. But you know what? That's gone. It's over with. May never get another invitation. May never see anything like that again. But Jesus invites me all the time. So if you're not invited with another group, don't worry about it. Jesus is inviting you. And that's how you have relationships. So accept his invitation. And the elders look to his leadership. Remember that all that you're doing in life, you've got to follow his leadership. If you look at the passage that we've been studying, and I can look up here for just a moment, even though you got Peter and the gang out there, if you watch, Jesus is still giving the directions. Cast the net. Come over here. Let me give you this. You need to do this. Feed here. Shepherd that. Follow me. So he is still the leader. And so I would hope that we've all come to a point in our life that we are listening to the leader, that we are leaning in the direction of what the leader has to tell us. Now, I'm not talking about the earthly leader. That's another message for another time. But I'm talking about in this context is listening to the leader. And the leader in our life, now watch carefully as I say this, is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the way we know who is leading us, not so much, is it God or is it the Spirit or is it Jesus? Who is it? It's, is it of the Godhead leading us and not some other secular world force that's out there is going to be found right in here. And so he does want to lead us. And perhaps, as I thought about this, isn't it interesting that when Jesus says, cast the net on the other side, they followed the leader and they got the result. 
And I'm wondering if all of us, in some measure, we have this feeling of emptiness in our life because we haven't followed the leader. We've tried to sort it all out ourselves, and it didn't happen. Now, I'm not telling you that you cast your net on the other side, that you're going to get rich, you're going to get over cancer. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about, watch this, the feeling, the inside sense of place, as we say here in Hawaii, when you did what God told you to do, how blessed that really is. That's the result that we really want. And he promises that. So again, come and have breakfast. Come and have fellowship with the Lord. Spend time with him. Love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. All right, to conclude the message, we're going to give you the last two points of how to repurpose your life. I put down here, tend my lambs, or you could say feed his people. That's easy for you to remember. That's why I put it down there. But I'd like to open it up a little bit. So if you will, follow along in your scriptures now. This is uh, John chapter 21. There are Bibles in the uh, racks underneath the chair in front of you. Grab one. I'm using the New American. So let's look here in verse 15. We'll pick it up there. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, or Jonas, as you see in other parts, do you love me more than these? I want to pause for a moment. I wish I had weeks to teach this passage because it's so rich, but I need to help you understand something. There were seven guys there, and Jesus could have easily said, Hey, John, listen to me. He could have said, The whole list is the guys that are here. Thomas, listen to me. Nathaniel, listen to me. Listen, Nathaniel, Nate, you listen to me. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.